Welcome to the Dark Depths Podcast, your go-to place for the modern legacy format. I am one of your hosts, Billy Mitchell, and I am here with the Dawnbringer himself, Michael Mapson. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm good. I'm feeling, feeling pretty good about the state of Magic lately. It's been really exciting playing Magic the past week. Yeah, I um, as I've been playing Legacy today, it's funny, I realized just how bad Legacy had gotten. And it feels weird to say that because I've been calling for bans mm-hmm. for months now. But like, I don't think I realized how much I wanted it to change. No, I, I feel the same way. Like, I, you know, playing this weekend, I got to play some decks I haven't played in a while. It was, you know, fun for me, at least, to be able to play, you know, some, some old classics. Um, but it was really cool, like, watching just other decks pop up um, during my event. And um, I think it's, I think the formats, you know, I think the formats are in a good place right now, I, I think. You know, I guess we can dig into that a little bit more um, as we get into the show. Um, how, was your, how was your week, though? Was it a good seven days? Um... I think it was good for the most part. I got sick randomly a couple of days ago, so like that wasn't cool. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's been a it's been a fairly uneventful but good week. I'm doing what I like to refer to as the great restringening, uh, which <laughs> is when I spend a ton of money buying <laughs> buying new strings and finally like uh, restring all of my various instruments. And as you know, I have a lot. You do have a lot. But I asked you how many you had. Um. So I have, I'm doing this in waves right now. So I have uh, an, just a normal violin, an electric violin, my viola, a cello, an acoustic guitar, an acoustic electric guitar, a classical guitar, an electric guitar, a bass guitar, uh, two mandolins, two ukuleles, and a six-string ukulele. Is that like 14 or something? around there i i also have more instruments that just don't have strings um but i i didn't feel like those were relevant to this i I guess i guess you're right that's fair um geez that's so many well i mean it sounds exciting though i always think it's always cool to be able to pull out some some instruments i actually have a like an acoustic guitar that i I never get to play anymore um but you're actually pretty good i know you um went to school for music for a little bit yeah i mean definitely not as good as i used to be um living in cramped spaces has meant like not practicing and then recently i just realized i was like wait we own a house now like i can be as loud as as loud as i want to be especially while my wife's at work Mm -hmm. so uh i have been enjoying that recent realization so of my dogs they like to just curl up at my feet as i play viola that's really cool oh man i'll listen to anything though because they were even just like listening to me tuning my guitars today as i was like trying to get the strings to break in i was like this noise is awful and they're just like falling asleep to it mm-hmm. yeah the uh, how's that's like god how's your week been uh it's good we're in the we're in the home stretch of the house we um and i think i mean people i think know this at this point we record on tuesdays um <laughs> on fr- thir- saturday i could not think of days of the week on saturday we have the uh, moving company come to move our boxes into the house. Um, I think hopefully on Friday, I think I'm going to take the day off and um, the wife and I are going to put the trim up in the house. That's really the last thing we need to do uh, before we really move in. Um, if we have to do the trim later, we, we can do the trim later, but it's just one of those things that would be a lot easier before we move a lot of stuff in into the space. So um, 
and once we get to next week, actually, this is, I guess, the last episode I'll be recording from um, the apartment. And next next week we'll be recording from the house, which, which will be exciting. Well, I'll be recording from the house. You won't be with me. Yeah, it won't really make a difference to me. <laughs> no. Um, but it, it'll be nice, I mean, at least for um, the sake of acoustics, we'll, I'll be in a smaller room instead of in my um, dining area in our open concept <laughs> apartment. Um, so I think the acoustics will be a little better next week, which is kind of exciting, too. And you should hear less baby talk, which will also be nice. for You know, just for the sake of sound quality, right? Yeah, that'll be good. Mm-hmm. Well, do you want to jump into, um, I guess, talking about the, the post-banning world? Yeah. Yeah, do you want to start with Modern or Legacy? Uh, let's start with Modern. We'll start with Modern, and we'll go to Legacy after. I think, I'm, I'm actually really excited for, for Legacy, but I think I, I gotta be patient today, so. Um, okay, so, Modern, uh, just in general, one thing, I, I'm not even word, sure where to start, there's just so much stuff that happened with this format. Um, obviously the bannings opened up a lot of what could be successful, um, but I also think it just kind of leveled the floor, um. I actually ended up playing in the NRG series um, last week, which did I did I end up telling you how I got to play the NRG series? I mean, I saw. <laughs> okay, okay. So I, I there was a thing on Twitter that well that was basically like, oh, what card do you think gains the most from the bannings um, in modern? And I was like, oh, light up the stage, absolutely. I mean, Uro's gone. I think that's good for aggressive decks. Um, so I probably lit up the stage. Um, I did not realize who actually posted it. Like, never actually clicked. Um, I also did not read the rest of the statement. Uh, it was a f- for free entry into the NRG. So they're like, oh, uh, it's like Bad Luck Bandit won. I was like, oh, what did I win? What happened? What is this? And I, like, reread the message. I was like, oh, good for me. So um, and the wife um, well, allowed me to play, which is cool. Um, so ended up playing the NRG series. Uh, the first time I actually got to play there, also the first time I got to play with um, MTG Melee. I don't know how this, I never got to play this before. This is actually, MTG Melee is really, really cool. I was very excited to be playing. I mean, you're behind the times. Oh, very much. Yeah. Um, so we, uh, ended up being like a seven round tournament. Uh, ended up playing Mono Red Prowess, which is, uh, very similar to a version I would have played before. Um, I actually got this list from, um, the, you know, what, what would you play? Um, this was Ryan Overturf's suggestion, um, most of the list, at least. Um, I think the main deck is entirely his. Um, I changed the sideboard up a little bit. He went super heavy on Dragon's Claw, um, which I'm a fan of, but I, I feel like it's a it's a bit much uh, to be playing four of them. I think three is usually fine. Um, I also think he was playing... I'm just looking at the list real quick. Um, I'm not sure what... He was playing another a card in the sideboard I didn't quite agree with. Um, ended up playing two Shrine of Burning Rage, which is kind of a pet card of mine, I guess. Um, but I think it's just such a good nail in the coffin for um, control decks and for shadow decks. And I was expecting um, there to be some kind of blue-white control, potentially. Um, I was figuring there would be aggressive decks, but I, I think the Monterey Prowess version of the deck is probably the best in the Prowess Mirrors. Um, and I also thought that... Um, there'd be a decent amount of dredge. I think dredge actually would have been a, a good call for this weekend. And I, I think I, if I had to play the tournament again, I couldn't play prowess again. I probably would play, um, dredge. So, um, 
I ended up going 5-2, which was actually, you know, I'm pretty happy with. Um, I played against two people who ended up making the top eight. Uh, one of them was Drew Christensen, who I think lost in the semifinals. Um, and Justice Wright, who I think was the, uh, I think he lost in the quarters. Um, but they both, uh, he was on, Drew Christensen was on Boris Byrne. Um, Drew Christensen, by the way, is, I think, Fingers, uh, 1991. Um, so he actually played Byrne and, uh, top-aided the Modern Challenge on Saturday, too. So he had a very busy Saturday. Um, well, I guess very busy weekend. Um... I mean, playing Burn, your games are pretty quick. I don't know if that makes you that busy. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. Um, <coughs> Justice Wright was actually playing uh, Green White Company, <coughs> which for me is obviously not a great matchup. Um, I mean, the the nice thing about this deck, I can about the deck in general, is I can put them down to zero relatively quickly. Um, but just having a Spike Feeder in the deck makes it uh, Spike Feeder and the Conclave Mentor means that they gain a lot of life, um, kind of accidentally. Also, they had, um, I'm not sure if I can see his exact deck list. Um, I can't see his exact list. Man, MTG Melee is just awesome. Um, yeah, so between the four Conclave Mentors, um, the three main deck, uh, main deck Oriok Champions, there's just a lot of things I have to kind of fight my way through. Um, so I ended up losing that in three. Uh, game one was actually really fascinating. Um, a lot of really tight decisions. Um, I got time-walked twice by um the what's it the night captain of eos um the first time was to not let me play a card that was hit off late up the stage um the second time was to not give me prowess triggers um and on his following turn he ended up um getting infinite life so like I, I really need one of those two turns. It didn't matter which one, um, but I need one of those two turns to, to kill him. So it was kind of an upsetting game, but it, it, it happens, obviously. So, um, But yeah, so I ended up uh, yeah going 5-2. I lost to Amulet Titan and to Green-White Heliod. I don't think... I mean, you agree that for Prowess, the, the Titan matchup has just never been good for me, right? Uh, I wouldn't say has never been good. I don't think it is good though. Okay. It's it's one of those matchups that's like I feel like either side can make it look kind of like a complete beating when it wins. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think Hamlet is favored, but I don't think it's by a huge margin. It's definitely a scary scary matchup. Yeah, I, I've I've always thought that the matchup was kind of tight and then once they added the dryad, I think the matchup was kind of swung wildly um in Amulet's favor. Like I, I just think, obviously, like game one, I literally, uh, he, the Adam literally went um, turn one amulet, turn two amulet, kill you. I was like, okay, sure, you got it. And then um, game two was turn one amulet. Um, I think it was. I think he had four lands in play at the end of turn two, and then um, I got tightened on turn three. And I was like, you got it. I'm I'm good. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I mean, Triad definitely did help the matchup for Amulet. Triad helped a lot of matchups for Amulet, to be fair. Yeah. And even, I think, even the the um, Arboreal Grazer, too, I think is just such a, a good card. Like, it obviously, like, the goal of it's not necessarily to be blocking, you know, Monastery Swift Spears, but it, it's not not there to be blocking Monastery Swift Spears. Well, I mean, that is kind of why it's there. Otherwise, we would still be playing Sakura Tribe Scout. Okay. Oh, Sakura okay. Tribe Scout. 
way better in the deck. Mm -hmm. But Arboreal Grazer is a medical. Okay. Uh, that being said, I always like playing one anyways, just because uh, sometimes it's a relevant card for you to tutor for. Mm, yeah, I see that. So, and, you know, I, I like this list in general. I was playing Karn. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see anything literally besides uh, Amulet, Arboreal, Grazer, and Titan. So it was games were relatively quick. Um, but, uh, no, I mean, overall, like, you know, I played against, um, was it Boros Burn, Titan, Is It Prowess, Brain Delight, Scape Shift, Green White Company, Mono White Death and Taxes, and Dredge. So it was actually really cool for, you know, the, really the first time in a long time. Um, that I got to play against seven different decks during the tournament. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Definitely would not have happened a couple weeks ago. No, I mean, once again, like, even if it wasn't, you know, exactly, you know, an Uro pile, right? It, it could have been a different flavor, but it's always one of a couple decks, I feel like. So it was really cool to be able to see some of these decks, especially things um, like the ones in the Prowess decks. I think the Prowess decks are things that were kind of swept under the rug um, just because they couldn't beat, you know, people gaining a bunch of life with Omnath and with Uro. So it's cool to be able to, you know, play against an Izzet Prowess deck. I think, one thing, I think um, if you're talking about the Prowess versions, I think I might have mentioned this on a, on a previous episode, but just in case, um, I think the Mono Red version has a advantage versus the Izzet Prowess decks um, and the Red Black, you know, Shadow. I, I, I want to call them Prowess decks, so that they think at this point they have enough Prowess cards that I can consider them that, but I know it's red black shadow really um but i think the mono red version has an advantage there because it has the burn spells to apply pressure um first the red black deck um it also has similar cards um to the is it prowess deck but doesn't have to take damage from its lands as nearly as much um so and i, I don't think that is it prowess deck is good at playing the control game when it needs to so if the mono red version can at least kind of pivot a little bit better, has better sources of card advantage with the um, Bedlam Reveler if you're playing that, um, or has more sources of card advantage because of the um, Bone Crusher Giants in the um, the Oba Obosh kind of version too. So uh, I've always found that the Mono Red is the best just pure prowess deck. So I was happy to, happy to run across that deck, uh, the Izzet Prowess deck. Um... I got, to, I got to play against Alexander Hamilton in round four, which was cool. Um, that uh, Bring the Light Scape Shift list, um, which also I think was a just a very cool deck. Um, so they're playing like the Bring the Light with, uh, with Valky still, um, which I think that's like one of those things I, I'm actually okay with that. Are you okay with people uh, casting Bring to Life Light to get Valky and eventually cast uh, Tibalt? Yeah. I mean, we knew that was going to be a thing that could still be done. That's, you know, you're still cheating two mana off of it, but hmm. five mana for, for that card is not completely unreasonable. Hmm. And, like, it, just kind of looking at the list, like, I'm so used to people casting Bring Delight and trying to hit uh, Nismethet that, like, them hitting Tipple's kind of like, oh, okay, like, I guess, like, that's fine. Um, like, I'm so used to that card, you know, drawing you you know, six or seven that when they, they just go get a tip ult, I'm like, that's actually like not terribly as impressive. I mean, just does draw you six or seven cards. It, it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah, you're right. It just doesn't have the immediate impact that I would expect. I don't know. I, I still think the 
them refilling their hand, having a giant flyer is, is really nice. Uh, yeah, no, deck. totally. Niv-Miz is horrifying. I, I remember <laughs> the first time I saw it in action, I was like, like, I just saw somebody playing. I was like, oh, that's really cute. And then the first time I was on the other side of the table from it and they cast it and they drew like five cards off. So I was like, oh, that is, I'm very dead. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, game's over. I just didn't know that yet. So it, it's, I think it's cool that, that, that this deck is still kind of kicking. Um, and it's a kind of a control deck. And I think that's something else, just looking at the other decks that I got to play against. Um, there's not a kind of default control deck at this point. Um, I do think the, like, the Bring to Light Scape Shift list might be one of the top contenders. I know there was a, um, an actual blue-white control list that made the finals that I think is, you know, pretty interesting. <clears throat> uh, that was played by, uh, Zaros. Um, and, you know, this is... It's a, it is a blue white control deck. Um, I didn't I didn't play against Zaros at all, but I mean you get to see you know Teferi Time Raveler, Narset, Jace, Teferi, um, plenty of counter spells as much as you can really jam into a, a deck. Uh, a copy of Shark Typhoon and some uh, Castle Ardenvale and Celestial Comet. Like it's really cool that this deck also got to come back. Um, I didn't realize that um, Uro was also really preventing you from playing any other control deck that wasn't blue-green. So it, it's good that blue-white got a chance to come back, too. So, um, but yeah, um, once again, it was really cool to play seven rounds, um, really diverse tournament, um, really good interaction. I, I don't think people have quite figured out uh, what the best thing is yet, but I also don't, I'm not sure if there is a, really a best thing. I think we're kind of back into a position where you can play really whatever you want and there is going to be a good deck for that weekend um, instead of being the deck you should be playing for the for the month of the season or whatnot, which I think is really good. I think challenge results would indicate that Green-White Heliod might have been the best thing to be doing this weekend, actually. Uh, you're, I mean, you're definitely not wrong um, with it on the... It was three out of the three out of the four slots in finals this weekend. Yeah, I mean, it's um, Juju Bean 2004, Mr. Rabe, and um, Paul CR5. But, like, if you're looking at the, the rest of the top eight, like, I actually kind of think they got lucky. Like, I think, obviously, the deck is really solid. You and I are big uh, Green White Company fans. Um, but if you're looking at the rest of the top eight, like... The Saturday Challenge had a copy of um, Burn, Mono Red, burn, uh, Red White Burn again, Is It Blitz, um, Jameer Mill. I think those are all kind of rough matchups for Heliod Company, um, but it still managed to make it to the finals. Um, if you're looking at the Saturday one, um, you've got copies of Jundas Shadow, Is It Blitz, um, Dredge, um, Blue White Spirits. Um, I don't think Hammer Time's. I think I think Hammer Time is not a is is a fine matchup for the company deck, but it's not a not a walk in the park by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and same thing with the um, red green Titan Shift deck. I don't think that deck is um, necessarily a buy, right? You can definitely play around them if you're playing relatively safely or you sequence correctly. You don't have to deal with the lightning bolt or something like that. You can definitely win on turn three, and they can't do anything about it. Um, but I, I do think that's not necessarily. A, an easy matchup. Um, so I'm actually kind of surprised that the company decks made it out of the, um, 
made it out of the um, into the finals um, like they did. But you're you're right. I don't know. Looking at these top eights, I I think I would feel pretty good about my odds on company. I mean, I I mean yeah for sure yeah I mean if you're looking at it like I think the the big visual winner is, is company it is I think doing the one of the most um, I want to say it, basic things but one of the easiest things to set up um, so I, I do think it's a good place to be um, in the immediate future but that also kind of means that if you know playing um, cheap interaction against creatures is good like I could be playing a lot of other things um, that do similar things. Like maybe this is a, a good time for, you know, there's a copy of Genda Shadow. Like maybe this is a good time for that deck. Um, Dredge does like eating up um, the green-white deck. Um, that's a decent matchup. Um, and even the, once again, the um, mill deck, I think is also just a really fantastic choice when you're trying to attack a deck that's going to gain infinite life versus you. Honestly, the out of all the decks you just mentioned, I think Mill is the only deck that I'm actively upset to see. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's that's fair. I don't know. I don't. I think I've always found playing against Dredge to be kind of nightmarish in spots. You know, when depending on the interaction, you know, if they're playing things like Dark Blast or Collective Brutality, right? That can line up um, pretty poorly versus you, or even oh, Conflagrate. I love Conflagrate. Um, so I yeah I but Demir Mill I think is definitely the one that is is in my mind probably the scariest, um, and obviously I guess the value of Infinite Life that also gone gone up because we we don't have to worry about I don't see them anymore in the format like that deck has obviously taken such a um, a beating that that's not a real concern, um, even though I have seen people playing um, you know versions of the deck that. I guess straddle the line between, um, you know, some version of Inverter or um, Charbelcher that still play um, Thoughts Oracle. So there could be a version of that deck still out there lurking. Yeah, I know Sodic was streaming that this morning, and uh, I can't think of who it was, but one of the Legacy James Day players was also playing it and managed to 5 0 with that kind of strategy this week. Yeah, was Seneca was playing the one with that? Was it Selective Memory? Is that what the card's called? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a that was not a card I was expecting to to see popping up when I was uh, looking at looking at deck lists. It's just like, I mean, very cool, obviously, um, but just not a card. I think it's one of those cards that when you look at it, you're like, that's probably broken somewhere. I just don't know where. I don't really want to find out. Um, if you don't remember what Selective Memory is, by the way, um, it is a rare from World Wake, three and a blue. Uh, search, your number, uh, search your library for any number of non-land cards and exile them, then shuffle your library. Um, it's, so they're still playing it in a shell that plays all double-faced cards. So you can basically just, you, well, you can just exile your library uh, when you cast Selective uh, Memory, uh, which ends up being pretty decent when you're just trying to win with Thothis Oracle anyways. Card's basically Doomsday. It's, yeah, it's basically, I mean, that's what they're calling it, like Blue Black Doomsday, like that's, which is kind of cool too. And think about it too, if you have if you have the time, you can just leave, you know, all but two cards and put like Pact Negation in, uh, draw your two Pact Negations and then try to go off from there. Like, if you got the time, you got the time. 
So yeah, um, but I mean overall, I'm I'm pretty happy with the format. I I think a lot, um, you know, getting rid of Uro, I think, um, took the emphasis away from decks that needed. Well, I guess that and also um, weakening the um, combo decks a little bit. I think took an emphasis away from having to have a have the most superior end game and having that kind of be an arms race building towards the end of the game uh, or having, you know, some kind of combo that kills your opponent super, super quickly and on um, some weird axis. Um, so I, I think realistically, I mean, and once again, kind of look at the decks that I played against too. Um, there's a lot of creatures. Like, I mean, obviously Boros is, uh, Boros burn is a burn deck, right? But they are trying to kill me with goblin guides and, Monastery Swiss Spears and um, Eidolons. I mean, Amulet's trying to kill me with Primeval Titan. Is it Prowess are trying to kill me with absolute nonsense? I got um, attacked by a giant Sprite Dragon, which was cool. Um, and obviously, like, Green White Company, Death and Taxes, Dredge. Um, even the the Bring Delay Escape Shift, I mean, that's obviously doing something a little different. I mean, I think that's cool that we do have variations of control decks back in the format, too, um, that aren't necessarily a an Uro pile. So I'm I'm actually pretty happy with where the format is right now and where it looks like it's going. Yeah, I, I know I saw a lot of control players rejoicing that they can finally finally break out their Celestia colonnades once again. They've been resting for too long. They they need to they need to fly. Yeah, I mean between Mystic Sanctuary and Field of the Dead and Uro, there just really wasn't room for them in those decks. Mm-mm. Which is exciting for me because I love uh one of the most satisfying things for me to do in Magic is to play Vesuva, copying my opponent's Celestial Colonnade, and then kill them with it. Yeah, that, that sounds good. It's so satisfying. <laughs> yeah, I, I, like, I just feel like... Uh, and one thing, kind of like you mentioned with, uh, with Legacy, like I don't think people really understood how, how much the format had changed because it, it happened so slowly and over time um, that, you know, the format is... is has changed so much so to kind of see it back into a spot where uh people are being able to play their decks and you know and like you said bust out the celestial colonies i got to bust out my bedlam revelers like i was hype when the first time i got to cast my bedlam my first bedlam reveler and discard two from my hand i was like this is fine i'll manage um <laughs> like it's just it's it's good to be in a place where um i think the power level is a little a little flatter just along the um the decks um, so, you know, just a lot of things are playable. It comes down to play skill. And like I said, the, my match versus, um, again, my, my match versus Titan was, I didn't really matter. I, I had no choice, uh, no chance there. Um, but my one versus the Greenway Company deck, I think was very skill intensive. And I lost, you know, um, game number one and three. Um, but like the, the games were nail biters. Um, I think they were interesting to watch. I mean, if, you know, as I was like, we could go back and watch them if you wanted to. Um, to see if there are places I could have messed up. But, like, it wasn't just a matter of, yep, I ran out of resources, they grinded me out over 30 turns. So I'm pretty happy. Yeah, I think that seems to be the general consensus. People are much happier with Modern than they were. Mm-hmm. Unless, you know, they were an ad nauseum player. <laughs> and they're pretty sad. Yeah, I can see that. Um, well, how about Legacy? I actually I didn't get to play any Legacy this week this week so how's legacy looking legacy is phenomenal Ooh, okay. um i might be biased because 
I can finally cast the creatures I like casting again. But <laughs> that's fair. Legacy has been so good. Um, I guess I should I should start by saying I know some people miss miss Astrolabe and other cards. Uh, people people are already trying to uh, figure out replacements for Astrolabe. Uh, I've seen people playing Abundant Growth, okay. which I'm going to go ahead and say here. You can play it, yes. It's not nearly as good as Astrolabe was. No. I've seen a couple of people say, well, it just costs green. Like, other than that, what's the difference? But they really, I cannot emphasize this, are not the same card. <laughs> no. and like Astrolabe I... works with all your basics. Mm-hmm. Abundant Growth doesn't. And that really affects your mana, I think, way more than some people realize it does. Uh, it means that, like, you really have to pay close attention to your sequencing. And, like, there's just going to be a lot of times where you have to use the Abundant Growth for, like, you need that land for whatever. And then you're just stuck with these other lands that will not produce the mana you need. And that wasn't something that happened with Astrolabe. Like, yeah. you, any of your lands could produce that five-color mana in theory. Also, being an artifact was, like, super relevant uh, for things like Oko turning it into an elf. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's just a lot of hidden artifacts that that doesn't really come up with enchantments. So I will say that is way worse. Uh, Anurag Das uh, has been playing Prophetic Prism. (laughs) I have not gotten to experience that yet, but he's saying saying it's good but i think he's joking i i'm not serious i i mean i'm not that i'm not serious i'm not sure he's being serious i can't tell uh, i mean it's basically like with the two thing. cards with one more mana right so yeah but so there were a lot of hands you could keep because astrolabe was like your opening cantrip like you can keep a hand with ponder and astrolabe you can't keep a hand with like ponder and prophetic person mm-hmm well, and I guess even even further, right? You can keep a land, that, a hand that's like basic for, or I guess no forest, um, astrolabe, um, and you know, he's like, well, I can cast ponder in turn two at least. Um, so, it, like, if you if you get the very opening hand is forest, um, I guess no forest. So if you want to be playing that, like, the ponder is not going to be coming into play or being cast until at least turn three, potentially. Like, that's not what you want. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's not very good. Mm-hmm. Um, so now that that's out of the way, uh, Legacy has opened up so much. You know, Oko, we talked about that card at length so many times, but it really did just push so many things out of the format. And then Astrolabe being gone has also reduced the number of Uros, which was also pushing things out of the format, I think to a much lesser degree. Mm-hmm. And then obviously Arcanist was pushing things out of the format. So nobody is really sure what the best thing to be doing is. Uh, if you look at the results from like the challenges, they've been super open. If you look at the results from uh, at what people have been playing in leagues, those have been super open. Uh, so it's really exciting. You're seeing a lot of old strategies come back, which is pretty cool, but you're also seeing some new innovative takes. Um, so some of the ones I really want to highlight, uh, White Faces won the saturday challenge playing uh this esper mentor kind of mid-range deck uh, and that's got some really cool things going on first love me some monastery mentor so. absolutely great card 
Uh, second, he's got Jace the Mind Sculptor, which is a card we haven't seen in forever. Uh, I know Lynn Chalice has also posted earlier today about the results that he's been having um, and playing Jace and how nobody, nobody's been playing that card for so long, but it's finally good again. Mm-hmm. So that's really exciting. Uh, but anyways, so Callum's playing this deck, and it's kind of... I guess we'll call it like a turbo mentor kind of strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, for the creatures, he's playing Baleful Strix, Snapcaster Mages, and Monastery Mentors. Uh, two Teferis and a Jace for Planeswalkers. And then, you know, typical cantrips like Brainstorm, Ponder, uh, Removal, some Discard. Uh, but the real cool things are he's playing one Vindicate, which is a card that I haven't seen in forever. Uh, two Unearths, which are really cool. Um, they just work wonders with your monastery mentor because you know that card gets countered a lot, and then when you can bring it back, like when you can pay one mana for a monastery mentor, that's insane. Yeah, really that good. card can just take over games, and then you have the mana to just go off. Same thing works really well with your snapcaster mages because those die off in combat so easily. Same thing with baleful strix, it's pretty good value. You can always just cycle it when you need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, other cool things. Um, Hymnotorak, which is a card that hasn't been playable because Uro and Dreadhorde Arcanus have generated so much card advantage. And also, you know, if you make somebody discard stuff, but they already had an Oko out, it didn't matter. Yeah. But having uh, Hymnotorak in your deck with Teferi Time Raveler is especially neat because you can just hymn them during the draw step. Oh, that's so rude. Love it. <laughs> yeah. You kind of just get to decimate people. Um, and then also really interesting in this list is playing copies of of one mind um, which not everyone might be familiar with uh, but it's a three mana draw two cards sorcery Uh, so basically a divination but if the owner controls a human and a non-human then it costs two less so about half the time in this deck you can play uh, your divination for one mana and that's really exciting. Almost kind of like, like a, a treasure cruise. Yeah, to say like it's like a treasure cruise or like a let up the stage kind of. It's really cool. Uh, so if you um, if you have like your monastery mentor out and you already have a single monk, then of one mind only costs one mana. Or if you have like your baleful strix and a snapcaster mage, it costs one, and that's just really good. Uh, and then you can just kind of start chaining your spells and really go off with your mentors. So a deck like this is really exciting. I've heard from a couple people. I haven't gotten the chance to play it myself, but a couple of people have said it's a little bit clunky. I can see that. I mean, the man is kind of rough between like things like Teferi and um, Baleful Strix and him to Torak. Like I can imagine the man is a little tight, especially with playing um, as many basics as you're you're playing. Yeah. That being said, I'm. <laughs> It's really exciting to hear that mana can be rough in this format again. Love yeah. to see people punished by Wasteland and Blood Moon. But, you know, something like this, I think, is a good start. And it really, you know, it's really just nice to see these kind of mid-rangey controlling cards that haven't seen the light of day in a year come out and play. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Another strategy that's been seeing a, a ton of play is people have, you know, obviously not chosen to put down their Delvers. 
that you're seeing a lot of Grixis Delver. Uh, but more exciting than that, you're seeing a lot of Bug Delver. Okay, uh, I like Bug Delver. Yeah, the Bug Delver lists are really cool to me. They're playing one of my favorite cards, Star Confidant. Uh, and then they're combining that with Uro because, you know, that card's still legal. It's still super powerful. And Dark Confidant was a card that Bug Delver has played some in the past, as well as Brixis Delver. It was always a little bit risky because you could hit your Force of Wills, you could hit Grimog Angler, which was, you know, a huge chunk of life gone. Mm -hmm. um, but now you don't need to play anything that expensive to have, like, this game-ending bomb. Uh, Uro is your big game-ending threat. And it offsets the life loss from Dark Confidant. So it's kind of this picture-perfect synergy. And you could say Uro and Delver don't go together, but uh, we've already seen Daniel Gochel playing those cards together in the past. So there's clearly something there. Mm -hmm. uh, I know some people are playing this list with copies of Stifle. Not everyone is. Uh, seeing Creeping Tar Pit in a lot of the list, which is kind of bizarre to me. Yeah, I don't think one. I would put Creeping Tarpit into my Delver deck, but, you know, uh, people can do whatever they want. Actually, well, I used to play Mistress Factory in Delver, so maybe I can't talk. It's probably not too bad, I guess, with Uro, because, I mean, like, if you're playing on turn three and you're just putting a land to play tapped anyways, like, just put in a Creeping Tarpit. I guess you don't necessarily need the mana if you're Earth resolving. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, it could be great. Mm -hmm. Um Something else I really like about this list is since this version has so much card advantage in it, you still get to play copies of Force Negation. Um, mm. I mentioned last week one of the worries with losing Dreadheart Arcanus was that since you didn't have as much card advantage in your Delver decks, you were going to trend down on numbers of Force Negation. And that seems to have been true in the case of other Delver decks, like Is It Delver and Grixis Delver, I think, have largely dropped down to only a single copy of Force Negation. But getting to play two or three in this list is really nice. Yeah, I definitely think that's that's kind of one of the things I'm... I, mean, I have not gotten to play Delver yet. I'm kind of chomping at the bit at this point. Um, but that was one of the things, kind of rebuilding the, the Delver deck. I was like, I don't know... Yeah, I'm, I'm just so used to playing um, two copies of Force Indication in the main deck. Um, and it never being an issue that I, I'm interested to see how the builds end up coming out. Um, you know, when we're at the other end of you know, the perfect builds here. Yeah, so if you want to play Blue Red Delver and you want to regain some of that card advantage, uh, you can play one of your favorite cards, Light Up the Stage. I love you know, that's the thing you used to do. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen a couple people playing that. Um, hasn't super caught on, although I've been seeing a lot of Terramander, uh, which you used to play with Light Up the Stage. Mm -hmm. I love Scary Terry. So it seems fitting. Mm -hmm. uh, the other Delver decks that have been popping up, I've been seeing a lot of people playing the um, Dark Light Phoenix Delver decks, which are really cool. Mm -hmm. uh, so you get to play uh, Dark Ritual with Buried Alive and then cast any other spell, bring back a bunch of flying birdies and, you know, attack your opponent for a lot. The, one of the upsides to that build is, you know, much like these other builds, you get to play Cabal Therapy. Uh, which is really good but that version has been doing uh this huge sideboard juke a lot of the times where people are bringing in you know these surgical extractions and all these cards to fight the, the arc light phoenix plan 
but then post board you just bring in a doomsday package and you cut your buried alive and your arc like phoenixes and then you just combo them out and if they have good cards that are good against your combo you still just get to play delver secrets and flip it and force all their stuff and daze their stuff so that deck looks really good to me because it's just attacking on every possible angle mm-hmm. that's really cool uh Another thing that's happened is Callus of the Void is finally free. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. So Callus decks have been coming back. Uh, you've been seeing a good amount of mono red around. Uh, there's been a cool new build of mono red. Time will tell if it's good or not. Some people have been playing uh, Giant Stompy, though. So they've been playing cards uh, such as Crystalline Giant, and Bone Crusher Giant and some of the other uh, giants uh, from the new Kaldheim set. And that's been really cool. One of the upsides to playing that version is your threats really don't die to Abrupt Decay, with the exception of Bone Crusher Giant, and that card is already built in card advantage. Um, I think that version kind of started out as a bit of a joke, but it seems like it might actually have legs. That being said, uh, Basuta. I guess is how you say it, who mm-hmm. is kind of the mono-red master, is not on that version. So it's possible that, you know, the the build we were seeing pre-banning with um, Fireflex Squad and PNK Nolars and whatnot might still be the correct way to go. But, you know, there's room to explore, which is really cool. Uh, also along the line of Chalice decks, Eldrazi have finally started popping back up. And I, I know a lot of people hate Eldrazi, but I, I'm i kind of excited to see it again just because it's been so long. Also, if I'll be honest, I've uh, been known to cast some Eldrazi before, too. So From time to time. Yeah, I mean, well, the, I mean, I remember in Standard you used to play the that blue-red Emerge deck, which was, th- which was sweet. Oh, that deck was awesome. That was, <laughs> that was one of my favorite decks in any format. Mm-hmm. Elder Deep Fiend is a hell of a card. Absolutely. Uh, but even just like the colorless Eldrazi deck, or, you know, personally, I like to splash green for once upon a time. Mm-hmm. Um, or XJ Cloud, who we typically think of as um, a Death and Taxes player, has been playing Eldrazi splashing black for uh, Plague Engineer. And I know that's been working out well for him. I think he went 5 2 in one of the challenges this weekend. The Plague Engineer is really, really good right now, actually. I was going to mention that. I feel like this is like, um, you know, kind of talking about some of like the cards from Modern Horizons. Um, and we had we kind of reviewed some cards from that set um, like, a, like a couple months ago. I still feel like Plague Engineer is one of the cards that like we kind of forgot about because everything going on with Uro and Oko. Um, but I still feel like it's probably one of the most powerful cards that still exist in Modern and Legacy. I just haven't seen it in a while. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think right now it's, you know, it's way better than it's been because, you know, the creatures aren't aren't all becoming elks and, like, outclassing it like they used to. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're seeing, since you're seeing the format open up so much, you're seeing kind of a lot of smaller creatures kind of pop back into the mix that aren't necessarily big, but, like, get their value by doing things once they're in play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of those creatures have lower toughness. So Plague Engineer is coming out and just kind of 
wiping the floor with people. And even with Delver turning back towards young pyromancers and dark confidants, like if you just name playing a engineer on human against Delver, it kills basically every threat. Yeah. I mean, that's one of those ones I, I saw, like, it was, I think it was a mirror, um, but they were plague engineering each other's um, wizards. They were plague engineering um, each other's. Uh, I feel Baleful Strix actually is. I want to say it's a. It's actually just a. It's bird. a bird. Yeah. So they were doing that, um, but they were doing uh, humans to try to kill each other's dark coffin. Like there was, it was madness. But once again, it's, it's a card that you can use to preemptively answer some of these cards, and especially when you start talking about things like humans in death and taxes. Um, or talking about something like elves, right? Like, that's just, like, backbreaking goblins, even, uh, for, you know, for where uh, Goblin Lucky pops up. Yeah, goblins, another deck that I've been seeing a fair amount of. Also, since I mentioned Chalice, I'd be remiss not to mention uh, Turpomuxus seems to be coming back. Mm-hmm. Which, that one might be slightly less exciting, because... <laughs> Muxus is a terrifying card. It it is for sure. Um, I'm I'm so used to the arena, <laughs> people playing Muxus on arena that I'm like, whenever I see it and like in Legacy, I'm like, this has to be worse. Like not not like not worse as a worse card, but like more terrifying. Like no, <laughs> like the things do not get better when you cast the Muxus in uh, Legacy for your opponent. Like yeah, I I've resolved a number of Muxus myself in Legacy and. Let me tell you, I won every one of those games. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of them were close. Probably not. Like, I mean, like, once again, just like, looking at, what, well, Brixton Mike's list, uh, who went 5-2 in the um, Sunday Challenge, and, like, God forbid you hit a Kiki-Jiki and just, like, <laughs> start copying your Sling Gang lieutenants or, like, your goblin settlers, like we're killing lands now. Like, um, even like chain whirler in, in multiples with Kiki Jiki is kind of gross. Um, and like that's just like the kind of like blatantly unfair stuff. Like, I think even if you hit like double pile driver and a goblin matron versus most people, like the game's probably over. Yeah, goblins are sweet. Goblins are one of my favorite tribes. I don't know if you knew that. I don't think I knew that. No. Yeah, when I when I was first getting into magic, I was um, really big into tribal stuff because it was easy to wrap my head around. Okay. Uh, so, like most magic players, I got into elves. I thought elves were really cool. Uh, but goblins was always kind of my second favorite. That's fair. Yeah, I got, I got, big, I got big into zombies. That was my one because uh, I was in uh, Onslaught Block when I was really playing a lot. So, killing people well, with that. Hmm? Zombies never did it for me, although I did love like the Amonkhet zombie deck. Oh, the black white one, the Charity uh, Perter list. Yeah, yeah. Well, he won that. with mono black. Oh, he did. You're right. Yeah, but still, yeah. Those decks were those decks were the uh, Liliana's mastery and whatnot. Good times. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so what else has been popping up? Uh, Maverick has made a huge resurgence, uh, which is cool for multiple reasons. Uh, one, Knight of the Reliquary is one of my favorite cards. More on that in a second. <laughs> uh, but it's it's really cool just seeing, you know, these fairy decks that don't have blue in them. Uh, you know, these cards and strategies that were kind of hated out by Arcanist and Oko, which 
you know, has been kind of the theme of this section. Um, so things like Night of the Reliquary finally have text again. And, you know, you can have your Stoneforge Mystics hit play and actually stick around and put their equipment in. So it's really cool seeing these creatures that, again, need to, like, stick and play to accrue value, like, actually have a chance to shine. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know which version of Maverick is the best yet. I know um, Matthew Vuk, who is a big, big uh, fair green deck player. I mean, he's just a big legacy player in general, but he loves his green fair decks. I know he's been playing um, with Punishing Maverick, Okay. Also, uh, you know, I mentioned the second exciting part. Uh, good friend of mine, I know you know him as well, Mark Strassman, mm -hmm. uh, has been streaming some Maverick lately. Oh, cool. Uh, so that was the other exciting part for me. But, you know, he's also been streaming Punishing Maverick. I don't know if that's because it's good or if it's because it's kind of what he always plays. But, you know, <laughs> that's me thinking that might be the way to go. Although I think... Um, I don't, I'm not sure how to say it. Dugis, um on Twitch, uh, yeah, has, uh, uh, yeah, Dugis, yeah, has been playing straight green white, so okay. you know it's possible that's the way to go. But it it's nice that this is a conversation we can actually be having. Um, also, if you're interested in Knight of the Rail Fairy decks, uh, people have started playing with the four color loan deck again. Uh, often splashing blue for Oko instead of the red that it used to splash, but. I mean, sorry, not for Oko, for Uro. Uro, okay, yeah. Um, but that deck looks really good to me. I know I got completely obliterated by it in a league uh, the other day, and the games were, were not even remotely close. Like, I'd, I'd love to say <laughs> I put up a fight, but, like, <laughs> that player beat me so bad. Um, <laughs> they said the deck's been performing well for them. It, I mean, it looks really good. Uh, again, in that deck, you get to do the whole Dark Confidant plus Uro thing, and that mm. just, that seems like a really powerful synergy. Um, I mentioned Knight of the Reliquary being one of my favorite cards. Uh, I've been playing Green-White Depths again. Ooh, very cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we're all stunned to hear me talk about playing Dark Depths. But that was, uh, that was a deck I was really excited to play again. It was actually the first deck I played, uh, post-ban announcement, uh, immediately picked up a trophy. Very cool. <laughs> Played my list from, like, literally a year ago. No changes. Um, that being said, I've updated some since then. Uh, but, you know, that's a deck that I'm really excited to be able to explore again. Um, just, it's been freed by being allowed to actually play Night of the Reliquary. Um, also excited, I've been playing versions like other versions of you know black based depths that aren't rainbow depths so i've been playing uh some with good old-fashioned slow depths with mox diamonds and your mox diamonds don't get turned into elks now so that's really cool because it was always really painful to put down two cards and then you know have it get turned into one thing that you didn't want at all yep and i've been playing um with some medium depths as well I was actually on uh, the 90s MTG stream today playing Medium Depths. Oh, cool. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. Uh, if anybody's a subscriber, you can check out the VOD, or it will get posted to YouTube later. Yeah, so it's really nice to see uh, options there again. 
Um, I'm trying to think of other things that have been popping up. There's really just kind of everything. Uh, Miracles is back. Yeah, that's cool. I thought that was deck was like kind of dead in the water after um, Top got banned. And I know obviously we've seen versions of the deck since then, but um, just not a deck I would have expected to come, kind of come back. I mean, we saw Miracles for a while post-Top. It's not as good as it was with Top, obviously. But you, know, you still get to play a lot of powerful cards. Uh, you know, Predict gives you some amount of card advantage, which doesn't necessarily cover the the amount of like filtering you got with Top, mm-hmm. but you can still kind of churn through your deck. Um, notably, some people are playing Predict with Mistress Bobble to give them extra churn. Uh, that's actually... Mm-hmm something that really came about during the companion era because uh, they were doing that with Flurus in their deck they put Mistress Bobble in because it was just a natural fit with Flurus. Yeah. but you know it turns out it actually works pretty well in this shell uh, since you're already trying to play predict and if you're playing counterbalance uh, then it's actually pretty sweet with that card too you can kind of you know before uh, your counterbalance sugar resolves look at the top card of your deck and see if it'll work or not it's also kind of cute with um, Mastery Mentor and um, Teferi Time Raveler, so you can at least pick up something um, and then cast another spell to your Mentor. So that's kind of cool, too. Yeah. So I'm kind of a... I never thought I'd be excited to see Miracles like come back, but it's actually just really nice to see this as a control option, especially knowing that it's not the only control option. Mm-hmm. Well, and, well, and you're, you're definitely right. We definitely have seen this post um, top banning, but the versions I'm I'm so used to seeing are pl- we're playing green for um, Oko. So I'm just kind of surprised that once you took the Oko leg away, that this deck still kind of could exist, you know, on its own, which is exciting. Um, yeah, I, I'm just really excited by everything that's happening in this format. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could just like talk and play about legacy so much right now i feel like which which is like awesome because once again like just i i did not feel this way about the formats really um past couple months i feel like um like i feel like i would be really excited about legacy and then like it'd be like oh i don't want to i don't want to do this and, I, and then i would play legacy for a while and be like okay and then something would happen I'm like oh because i'm gonna go back to, to modern now um or, like, I'd play, like, Arena and play Standard or Historic or something like that for a little bit just to um, kind of shake it up. But, yeah, this is a this feels a lot better, I feel like. Lots of cool decks. I definitely agree with that. It definitely feels so much better. I'm just, I'm really interested to see where things will end up. I, it's also just nice. I feel like there's so many things I want to try. Mm-hmm. And that hasn't been the case in so long. Um, do you feel like, because I know one of the one of the big concerns people had, I think still kind of have, is that um, Oko's gone, but Uro still exists, and like it's too powerful for modern. Like, does it does it fit into Legacy even? Do you how do you feel about that um, at this point? Um, so I still think Uro is really good, but I don't think that it is impressive by any means in this format now. Okay. Like I mentioned, it's been seeing play in the Bug Delver decks, but. I don't think uh, I don't think that's anything too concerning. I'm actually really interested. I want to try it with Magmatic Channeler. 
I okay. kind of threw together a list earlier today and goldfished a couple hands, and it seemed like that could be pretty sweet. I can see that. But the card is just much more fair now. It's really, it's really much more difficult to cast it now that you don't have Astrolabe in the format. Mm-hmm. And also, um, so the thing without having Astrolabe is, A, your mana's a little bit worse, and B, you're opened up to Wasteland so much more, so like you can really kind of delay it coming down. And it's also not in, the sh- in a shell that's as powerful, because part of the problem used to be you spent so many resources trying to fight over Oko that you had less resources to fight over Uro. But now you can kind of focus on one thing, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that definitely is the biggest issue. And I think that's what people even... Um, we're talking like the Doomsday decks, right? Like when they're, they're... You focus so much trying to stop the Doomsday plan that like they're like, oh, here's an Archimist. You're like, wait, what? Okay. All right, I'll... I can't beat that, can I? I don't have removal for that. Okay, this is bad. Um, yeah, I think, and I, I don't know if this is a plan or not, but I do think a lot of like people with like Plan Bs in this format are, have kind of like gone away. Like, there's definitely less, or at least weaker Plan Bs for, for a lot of these legacy decks now. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that's true because. The thing is, Oko became a lot of people's plan A, and then their plan B was whatever was acceptable before Oko, so... Mm-hmm. The whole power level of format's kind of gone down with that card being gone. And that's the same thing with Arcanus, and that's just so exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's also been nice seeing Baleful Strix pop up. As weird as that might sound, just because it's a card that was everywhere, and then it was nowhere, so it's nice seeing that come back. It's nice seeing True Name Nemesis hit the film again. Mm-hmm. It's funny how it went from a card that everyone complained about, like, nonstop to just being nowhere. Literally non-player in the format. Um, it, it, it's one of those cards that, like, it, it is omnipresent until it's not. Um, it's just, and that happens a lot. Um, the You kind of mentioned this, or referenced this before, but there was a list that went, um, six one the Saturday challenge. I was playing the four Terramanders, but also playing the two True Name Nemesis. Like this, <clears throat> this deck for the most part is uh, from last year. I mean, there's not there's nothing really. I think Brazen Borrower is the newest card in the deck, unless I'm missing something. Um, but you could have been playing this in October 2019. Like this is, it. I really do think we took a step. I don't want to say step back. I guess in time, but. Um, once you removed a lot of those cards from, um, Theros and from, um, yeah, from Theros, I mean, like, the, the format power level went down so much. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that being said, I'm hesitant to really refer to it as taking a step back. You can definitely apply some of those strategies that were good, you know, a year ago, <coughs> but... There's also a lot of new cards that still affect things. Like, even if Uro is not as dominant as it used to be, it's still a big player. Uh, Field of the Dead is seeing a lot of love. People are playing that in just normal control decks, mm-hmm. which is, like, really cool. Um, I think Harkin went, like, 10-0 playing a Field of the Dead control bug deck, what? which is really neat. That's cool. um, and you still have cards like Valakut Exploration that are showing up. But also, you 
and Hole Breacher, of course. Oh, yeah, uh, a lot of worth. people are still playing Hole Breacher. Mm-hmm. But you also just have the lessons that we learned over the past year. And, you know, even if people are using some of the same cards, I think they're implementing them in new ways, which is exciting. Yeah, I, that is... Um, yeah, you're definitely right. There definitely are some cards that um, have still made an impact for no sense. But once again, I, I do think something like Valkut, um Exploration is, is a much... I don't want to say much more in line, but it's, it's a much fairer card um, and less snowball-y um, and less, you know, I guess more traditional, right? There's, it's definitely easier for people to attack that kind of card, right? Like, still dies to Abrupt Decay, which I guess, I mean, I'm not sure if that's something you necessarily want to bring in in your land matchup, I guess, depending on your deck, right? But um, it's still something that can is relatively straightforward to attack, which I think is important when we're trying to think about things that are going into the format, like how... If when this is introduced to the format, is this easy? If this if this lands and sticks around for one turn, two turns, three turns, is this going to have a warping effect on the game? Um, and exploration, I mean, obviously does. Um, I, I, I guess snowball probably is actually a, a fair word for that for that deck. I definitely have th- had some games where they play two lands in one turn, and that lets them get a second exploration. So now they can play three lands in one turn while they're I'm getting this and they're dealing with damage, but like, I think that's okay for lanes to be able to do that. Um, obviously, I think we're still at the point too where people are getting uh, windfalled by um, Hull Breacher and like the game basically ends, which I think is probably not ideal. But um, just some of these cards as they get introduced with the format, they definitely have varying degrees of effect on the games um, if they're not countered immediately so i actually think the whole breacher thing is fine for what it's worth yeah i mean Um, you're you're probably right so playing with it i think it is slightly harder to set up than people realize Mm -hmm. you know uh one of the things about it is i always hate uh when people talk about these two card combos and they're like oh it's okay because it dies to removal well i actually think that's a fair thing to say here (laughs) because you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, it dies to removal. And you're just like thinking about something like uh, Deceiver Exarch where there's like, oh, just play Lightning Bolt. You're like, but it's a 1-4. Yeah. Uh, but like, I don't think that's the same thing here. Whereas most of the removal in Legacy actually does hit it. Mm-hmm. And it just feels really fragile. And, you know, Days Undoing is not a good card to just have in your deck without it. No. So you kind of do have to fill your deck with these bad cards. Uh, and since they they don't always end the game either when you resolve them together. So, like, I, I don't know. I think there's... While the combo is certainly strong, I don't think it's strong enough that it's a problem. No, I, I think you're right. I mean, I've, I've definitely seen enough games where Anarog um, plays as Hull Breacher, plays as uh, Days Undoing, the opponent goes lightning bolt, and he's like, oh, that's not good for me. And then <laughs> the opponent has a fresh uh, seven cards in hand and gets to untap, and he's like, I actually wanted to do stuff on my turn, but, like, obviously I can't do stuff. Um, yeah, and, once again, I'm, and I'm okay with like that, right? I, I think that's an interaction that if you happen to set it up, like, good on you, right? But, like, it, it doesn't happen consistently. Um, and obviously when you start actually, like, kind of going off and you get a bunch of... 
um, treasure tokens and you're drawing a bunch of cards and your opponent's not drawing anything anymore because of, you know, between your Hull Breacher or your Narset or whatever. Like, I don't, I don't know. You could have, there's definitely an interaction you could have played. Um, once again, things like Abrupt Decay or uh, Pyroblast um, exist in this format. So, eh, I, I don't feel too much uh, sympathy for, for, for when that happens. And once again, I think Legacy is one of those formats where, like, you are allowed to get God occasionally. And that's the way you're getting God as opposed to uh, your opponent casting um, Chalice on turn one when you have a bunch of one-drops in hand um, or you getting choked out. Um, I mean, realistically, too, it could be somebody just casting Doomsday and killing you with um, a Dothas Oracle on turn on turn three that's uncounterable through their chal or their um, cavern, like there are there are worse ways to get got in this format. Yeah. Um speaking of Hole Breacher, while we're here, mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw um, earlier today in the nineties MTG stream I mentioned uh, Peter Vanderham was actually playing Hole Breacher in his Blue Red Delver deck. Oh, okay. So I, I think that's something that's interesting. I've seen a couple of people talk about playing it in their deck, just, you know, even as like a one or two of. Mm-hmm. I think Bob Pong might have also done it. Uh, and, you know, Holbreacher kind of does play a near Delvery game plan of denying your opponent resources and can kind of serve as like a tempo-y card. And I actually think I like it in that shell just because the removal is so taxed anyways. Um, it's a little awkward because Days Undoing, again, is really bad. I don't think you want to have bad cards in your Delver deck. Mm-hmm. But that's something that I am actually a little bit interested in trying and seeing if maybe that's a better home for that kind of uh, combo than it is in, like, the control decks, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. And this is, I think this is kind of my issue with card evaluation, is that when I look at some of these cards... Um, like, I actually thought that's what Holbrichter was going to be. I thought Holbrichter was going to be the card that you would play in Mirrors and, like, you know, if you didn't have that Pyroblast in the Delver Mirror, you would get, you know, essentially, um, I guess, Narsetted, right? That's what I imagined it would have been. Um, obviously, I was wildly wrong, just like I was wildly wrong about um, the Magmatic Channeler, which I thought was going to, like we talked about on the, on the preview show for that, I thought it was going to be something that helped Reanimator a lot. Silly me, Reanimator's not a real deck anymore. Um, so. <laughs> it force negation. Also, yeah. if you ask me, Reanimator was not a real deck before that anyways. I, I do recall you saying that as well. Um, so, yeah, but I, I think that's cool. I think, once again, I think um, if cards go into shells that they're not broken in, but they're just they're just pretty good, um, I, think that's, I think that's good for the cards, right? Like, I think... Um, obviously, ubiquity is not uh, is great, but it's a downside. Like I think part of um, Oakwood's problem was the fact that it was in every blue green deck. Um, Arcanist ended up being in every deck that could reasonably play it, which is obviously an issue as well. Um, but I, I do think if Hullbreacher ends up being in more fair shells as opposed to just as a weird broken kind of weird combo piece, I think it's fine. Um, I think. Um, Opposition Agent is one of those cards, too. I think Opposition Agent, on its face, is a more busted card than Hullbreacher is, and it doesn't show up in decks that are um, super unfair. It just, it just shows up in random, like, mono-black discard decks. So, like, no one, no one cares. Two comments about Opposition Agent, since we're talking about it. Okay. 
One, so far, that card still has not done anything to me when I've been playing Depths, and I am thankful for that every time <laughs> I finish playing the deck. Yeah. Because one day somebody's going to take my crop rotation and get my wasteland, and I'm just, no matter what I'm doing, I'm just going to be done playing Magic for the day. <laughs> and two, I don't know if you saw this, somebody went... Uh, 5-2 in both challenges this weekend playing Collected Company and Legacy. No! Yeah, they they had opposition agents in their deck, which is what made me think of that. They had whole no. bases. Oh my gosh. I, I did not see this. I can't remember their name, but I, I can certainly find the list and send it to you. I think I have it saved on my phone, actually. Yeah, you need um, to send me that. That sounds, <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah, that's, I'm going to be taking it through a week. Actually, uh, at the current time that we're recording this, Anurag, who we've already talked about, let's go ahead and plug him again. He's actually streaming it right now. Is he really? Oh my gosh, that guy's a legend. I, I, by the, I I've mentioned this a couple of times too. I'm so happy Anurag has <laughs> has like really stepped into the into the format um, and like been a major contributor to content. Like he just does everything I want to do, and I'm like, I don't want to play didgeridoo, um, the didgeridoo deck, but like I want to watch it. And he's like, I'll play this deck. It's like, thank. You. Thank you. Thank you for your service to this country. I'm just so happy. All right. Well, I'll have to watch that then uh, once, we're, once we're done. Gosh, that sounds so cool. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. I think Noble Hierarch is, like, the only mana dork, but then they're playing, like, Baleful Strix, Icewing Quaddle, Hole Breacher, Opposition Agent. I can't remember if they're playing Leovold, but I want to say they're playing, like, a copy or two of Leovold. And then, like, Force Negation, you got yourself a deck. Yeah. Um, I've seen Green White Company popping back up in Modern again, too, which is, like, kind of cool. And I don't mean the Heliad Company that we've obviously talked about a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but just, like, Stoneforge Mystic and Knight of the Reliquary, Corsair of Crufix, like, just kind of value company. I'm pretty excited about that. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm pretty close to just throwing back... Uh the bank company deck that I used to play with uh, Night of the Relic. The Nightfall Barry, combo? Or, yeah, Nightfall combo. Real close. Yeah, yeah I've thought about that before. <laughs> I just, I, we're, once again, I think if you're in the in the place where you can play longer games and it's not a not a big deal, like, eh, I, I'll do that. I don't care. Um, I do think you kind of need, I could be wrong too, but just because of the um, threat of gaining infinite life. I do think you need a another plan. Um, like, I'm not sure what that entails necessarily, but I, I feel like it'd be nice to be able to have a a plan B that's not just kill you with. I guess I guess you if you have ballista infinite damage. I think most people are going to concede to that on on Moto. Um, I could be wrong though. People are monsters. But I always feel like the decks that can gain infinite life are usually pretty reasonable when you can present reasonable uh, infinite damage. It's like the the code of um, <laughs> the the infinite players. Yeah, I mean, I always, um, I definitely always offer the the whole agreement with like, hey, if we go infinite, we go infinite. We don't actually have to like play it out thing whenever. Mm -hmm. um, Whenever we're both doing it, it's just so much easier. It's, it's a waste of every time, especially when you're playing when you are the ballista player. Like when your opponent's like, "Well, you put a hundred counters on your ballista." It's like, 
do I do I have to though? Like, does it does it really matter to you? Do I? Okay, whatever. Let me add four hundred mana and add another hundred counter. I guess sure. <laughs> yeah, don't be that person. That <laughs> nobody nobody likes that person. All right. Uh, any closing thoughts on modern and legacy as a whole right now? Uh, legacy's great. I've played less modern, but it also looks great. I, I played some trying to qualify for the mana traders thing, mm -hmm. uh, and I started off with some rough luck, and then I and then I always doing some winning. But the second I picked up my fourth loss, I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to play 20 games. I don't care enough. That's fair. Um, I, I'm not even free that weekend anyway, so like, <laughs> I really didn't put that effort forth. Uh, but yeah, I mean, both formats look great. I'm really excited to uh, start jamming some Primeval Titans in Modern again. Uh, I might also start jamming some Primeval Titans in Legacy, because that's another thing people have been doing, is just playing Primeval Titan as finishers in their control decks. <laughs> that's kind of cool. So, I'm just I'm I'm really excited to have our formats back. Uh, how about you? Not in the same boat. I I just once again I I think modern. I I've always my stance has been for a while at least modern is the best format because in a lot of ways it, it feels like the wild west. Even though like there obviously is an established hierarchy, um, but I I don't feel like the tier one and the tier 1.5 and the tier two decks, I don't think there's a big difference. Um, and you know, there were, there was a point in the past, I'll say three years, right. Where dredge wasn't a deck and then dredge was the best deck and spirits wasn't a deck. And then spirits was the only option you could play. And then humans was a better variant of spirits and spirits was a better variant of humans. Um, we had, you know, the, I was, gonna, I keep wanting to call it eggs cause I'm so used to the eggs version that I used to play. Um, the, what's it? Uh, KCI. Um, yeah. Yeah. So KCI was existed. Um, and at the same time, Amulet was the best deck, but then that version of the deck that you played and actually, you know, made the finals of GP Hartford with is not really similar at all to the version of, of Amulet that we play today. Right. Like it, it's just, I think the fact that so many things are, are, are playable and come in and come out. And if you are a dedicated burn player or dedicated, uh, amulet player, dedicated uh, blue white control player, whatever, um, you can stick with your deck, be successful, um, and you know you can always win a, a, a Star City Open or uh, top eight a GP. Like that's always within your reach. Um, if, but you uh, can't do either of those things because those things don't exist right now. That is that is true. Currently, you cannot do either of those, but you can top eight um, an open or challenge rather, or you know anything like that like i just think that the door is always open for really good play um if you're if you're playing modern right so that's the thing i'm really excited about to have at least that option where you know i once again i i haven't played uh mono red prowess in months at this point i, I think I, I know i played it in an early episode of the show but um i hadn't played it since because it's just like it's not it's not the time to be playing this and it it wasn't because of really anything else in the format besides the fact that my opponent had a game three, game three, game three, game three, game four button. Um, so it's really cool to be able to um, kind of B 
be back and play some of these really sweet decks and really um as i think as evidence right now in um modern you can you, there's a lot of really cool decks that you can play that you can be successful with so i think that's i think that's a good sign i'm i'm, I'm really happy right now all right let's wrap up uh do you have a, a story you want to tell this week uh so not a story but i do do have something ready okay I'm going to put you on the spot here. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> okay. So on Twitter going around today, Matt, the official magic page asked, what's the best piece of magic related advice you've received? So I figured we could both answer that question. Okay. I can go first if you need me to. Yeah. Give me a second to think about this. Okay. So, uh, this was from a Jadine Comparin's article, uh, as far as I'm concerned, she was the best magic writer. I know everybody uh, always likes to say it was, or it is PV or read. No. And don't get me wrong, those two are great. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of people put Michael J. Flores as third. He's was also very good, but um, I, I think Jadine was really the best. And I think she often flies under the radar because she didn't write for that long. And, you know, now she is moved on from competitive play she's working in play design so i i think she just often flies under the radar i think if she had stayed as a competitive player instead people would be talking about her way more mm -hmm. but anyways um, so she had an article where she talked about having a plan and it feels really bad that this was like the best advice i got when i got it so late into playing magic but just um having a plan and sticking to your plan. And it, that article was just, it really outlined to me, like everything you do signals something to your opponent. And if you uh, just, you know, draw your card and you start switching your plans from turn to turn, then your opponents can start taking better, like more educated guesses of what's going on. Or like they might've been playing around something and now that you have changed your plan, you are giving them windows to operate where they or previously did not have those windows. Um, so some like one example she used that was a big example was uh, playing Jund versus Storm in Modern. If your game plan is, you know, you're going to attack them with discard until like their hand is obliterated and you can go like you can just kind of sneak in a threat and kill them. That should be your plan. And she talked about. Uh, watching somebody, like, you know, they cast some discard spells and then they tapped out for a goif and didn't cast their discard spells and then their opponent just, like, untapped and drew what they needed and killed them. Mm. Uh, but had they just, you know, played their last couple discard spells and then played the goif afterwards, like, that couldn't have happened. And, you know, they might have drawn out of it eventually, but, like, they needed to just kind of finish with their plan. Um, but I, I think about that a lot uh not changing plans it's especially relevant when i play the slower builds of depths because uh, you have to kind of choose between like your creature plan and making merit Lange. it's also a creature but a different kind of creature um and then that piece of advice to me goes hand in hand with assume your opponents are doing things for a reason look for them because a lot of times people just kind of think oh my opponent did this this is a terrible play but you know they probably have a reason. And so just those things together have really shaped a lot of the way that I've 
uh, approached magic. And since really thinking about things through those lenses, I think I leveled up a lot. Yeah. Um, I want to go with, try to play with people who are better than you. Um, and one thing I think, I think that's relative, obviously. Like I, I, one thing I've always considered myself to be a, um, a, a pretty good modern player, a pretty good legacy player. Um, but when we look at our group of friends, like, you know, the, the people we hang out with, people we normally play, interact with, um, I'm usually, you know, when, when we're, I guess, in the swing of things, right, I'm usually known as the, the really good standard player, um, which, in my mind, I don't consider myself a good standard player. That's not what I, I really think of myself as a Magic player, uh, but that is the format I've had the most success in. It's just, it's just not the format I enjoy playing the most. Um, so when I start looking at other, other formats, um, I, I really enjoy playing playing Modern, but that's, in a lot of ways, the format I've actually had the least amount of success with. Uh, with. Um, and I think Legacy is the one that I think I've really grown the most in the past couple of years, but that's because the people that we talk with play basically only Legacy, and they're, they're really well-informed about Legacy decks, um, Legacy strategy. You're obviously um, very well-versed in, in Legacy. And uh, being able to get, you know, little bits of information from... Um, from you, who obviously had a lot of legacy success. Um, I'm, he, he doesn't listen. I'm going to just name a bunch of people because I know they don't listen to the show. Um, like Zach Dobbins, I know. Um, obviously, very good at legacy and vintage, um, who we had on the show um, back for our, our Vintage 101 episode. Um, Chef Hinkle, I was, um, is a local to our area too. And once again, talking with him about how to play Grixis Delver, um, he, you know, top aided uh, GP Louisville. And that talking with him before and since the event always gives me a big imp- uh, good insight into what does a good list look like? What are some things that uh, from a really strong Grixis Delver um, or just Delver in general strategy standpoint, uh, what do you do? What do you need to do right now to be successful? Um, so just the ability to kind of see where you fit into your, uh, you know, magic friends, um, what do you add to the table? What information can people glean from you? But also, what can you glean from other people? Um, and once again, it might not even be, you know, in how do you play this deck. It could just be like you kind of mentioned. Um, what kind of um, information are you bleeding out during a game? Are you... Do do people always know when you have the Pyroblast because you um, always leave your mountain off to the side? Or people do people always know you have a Snapcaster Mage because you always look at your graveyard as soon as you pick it up? Like, those little bits of information... Um, you get from people and um, you know some people are just better I, I don't know if they showmen right but some people are better at having a uh, game face on while they're playing and not giving out some of that information um, and talking to those people um, about how they're getting that from you I think is important um, do you remember uh, I, I know you remember I'm Jason Leeper yeah J- Jason Leeper um, at this point I think lives in I think Singapore or South Korea. I'm going to go with Singapore. He's in Singapore. He's in Singapore. Uh, so, so Singapore, maybe Taiwan. I don't know. But yeah, Singapore. Uh, he, I think, is still probably one of the best people at in limited games um, and in EDH as well. But I think in limited games, he was one of the people that he'd, he'd know exactly what card I had in my hand um, regardless of the situation. He's like, well, you have this. I don't know what four drop you have, but it's going to be probably this or that. It's something with big toughness. And you're like, how do you know this? Like, what is happening? Um, and once again, he just, his, when you talk to him after the fact, he's like, well, you know, like you said, based based on 
turn two, I would have attacked, but you didn't. Um, so I'm assuming you didn't have a combat, uh, you had a combat trick or something like that, and you wanted this to clean up the other creature, then you were going to try to stabilize the board with your, um, with a four drop the next turn. I don't think you're, like, you have too many tap lands in your deck to be playing a three drop, so I assume you didn't have anything on three. And when you kind of break down, you know, his logic and what he's saying, it's like, that actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, and really, all he's doing is playing the, playing the numbers, right? He he knows you have a lot of tap lands in your deck. He knows generally what your creatures look like. Um, and he is aware of how you're attacking and blocking and um, you're, how you're holding your cards. Like, people bleed a lot of information. So um, being able to talk to people like that, I think, really, really does up your game significantly. Uh, can I add something to yours, actually? Of course. Um so I, I've heard the learn from somebody better or learn from playing with people better than you all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never really, I never really felt like I got that much out of that for the longest time until I think people added, um, you can just learn from everyone though. Uh, mm-hmm. And even if somebody is not necessarily a better magic player than you overall, you can still learn about the things that they are better at than you. Um, and I think, you know, I, a lot of magic players kind of close themselves off and they think to themselves like, oh yeah, I'm so good. I don't need to learn from whoever. Um, and you know, I don't think I was consciously doing that, but I think just like opening myself up to being like, okay, like I want to learn from everyone. Like, I mean, make sure I take in any information anybody's giving me. And you know, if it's not good information, you can, you know, logically think to yourself, okay, I like, this is wrong. I'm not going to take this in, but I think just being willing to listen is a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one thing I think, I don't think people realize, especially when they're doing that. Um, but you have, you're surrounded by people who have certain skill sets that just don't coincide with the ones that you necessarily value, um, you know, directly, for example, um, uh, Braden, uh, Bowdish, I believe that's his last name. Um, who is, uh, you know, once again, local, um, really great uh, CDH player and puts out a lot of really cool content. I'll, I'll, lo- I'll link him in the uh, show notes, his Twitter at least. Um, but was it kind of, for the longest time, I was like, yep, it's competitive EDH. We get it, man. Competitive, we get it. Really cool. Um, but then we actually looked at and break down his content a little bit and look into some of the things he's doing. Um, really good deck builder. Um, really has really good ideas, understands how... Um, really how to build a deck from the from the ground up um kind of does a really good job of looking at an idea and saying this is something that i think has a enough merit that this should be explored and this should be fleshed out um or this is something that is a cute idea but doesn't have the surrounding pieces yet and that's something that obviously we can you know apply the legacy right there's a lot of a lot of cards that maybe didn't have legs initially but after some time, we figured out what to do with them. Um, introducing Dreadhorde Arcanist, for example, into the into um, a Delver deck, you're saying, okay, well, I'm going to play two of this. I'm going to play four Young Pyromancers. Now I'm going to play I'm going to play three and three. I'm going to play four Arcanist and two Young Pyromancers. I'm just not going to play Young Pyromancers. I'm good now. Um, like that's a that's a skill set you get from being a, a really solid deck builder. And once again, because he's a competitive EDH player, I might not look at his, him immediately. 
But then as soon as you kind of look at some of the um, heuristics that he's using to make decks, that only can make you a better deck builder yourself. And, you know, you don't always have to be looking at the um, the Jerry T's and the Sam Blacks. Like, there, there are other deck builders. They just might not play the formats you're necessarily um, used to playing yourself. So it is good to kind of get some perspective there. Uh, all right. Well, let's wrap up then. Um, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at Expedition Map on Twitter and at Expedition Map on Twitch. Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at Bad Luck Bandit on Twitter. Uh, if you're interested in finding the show, you can find us at Depth underscore Podcast. Uh, if you want to email the show, that is darkdepthpod at gmail.com got it on the first try that time I'm really impressed with myself we are at the end of uh, Black History Month um, I want to do a giveaway which we're going to um, set up we're going to um, pick up one of the um, what's that actually called the Black is Magic Black is Magic I'm glad you're here man I don't know what I'd do without you uh, Black is Magic. Uh, we're going to give it away to one of our followers on Twitter. Um, don't have to do anything else. Um, obviously, if you aren't following us on Twitter already at depth underscore podcast, please do that because we want to make sure that everyone who is enjoy, um, enjoying our content, loving our show, and helping support our community gets included and gets a, at least a chance to um, get that prize, and we'll ship it out to you uh, once we get it ourselves. Um I think that's all I got. Um, I guess I'll see you next week. See you next week. All right, bye.